0: Welcome to the Leadership Network podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Generation Next show. We are so honored that you would join us here today. We know there's a lot of ways you can spend your time, and maybe you're at your church offices, and this is off on the side. That's great. And for others of you, you're driving to go pick up uh, somebody that you need to or drop your kids off at school, and this is on in the background. That's great. And maybe there's some of you who you're putting this on for your entire team during a staff meeting. That's awesome as well. We're so glad that you are here. My name is Hannah Grinowski-Barnett.
1: Yeah, my name's Aaron. We're so excited to have you all here today. Um, I just want to take a couple minutes real quick and introduce some of our guests. Um, I'll have them speak. Don't want to steal their thunder, but these are two incredible leaders that I deeply respect, that I admire, that I uh, love. And um, yeah, Ellie, if you want to start us off and uh, just talk a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, it's a privilege to be here to to talk about this and uh, I'm
2: grateful for you, uh, Aaron and Hannah, for allowing us this opportunity. Yeah, I'm Ellie Bonilla, originally from San Antonio, Texas, Uh, moved to uh, Florida a year and a half ago, and now I find myself in the bayou in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, (laughs) where we just moved. We literally got here like four days ago. I get to serve an amazing church, uh, Bethany Church here in Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Uh, A little bit about me and my background. Um, I'm Latino. I'm half Dominican, half Mexican, the son of two immigrant uh, parents, but born in California, raised in Texas, um, went to several universities uh, in the South, lived in Florida. I've been all over the place. So culturally, I'm a little confused and uh, in a beautiful way. Uh, Married a Palestinian American wife, got two beautiful uh, little kids, uh, and I also serve as the National Millennial Director for the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference under Reverend Samuel Rodriguez. And so, um, yeah, these types of conversations excite me and I'm glad to be here. Wow.
0: We're so glad that you are here. And um, truly, if you all don't know Eli Bonilla yet, um, you want to and you want to follow who he is. He uh, speaks with such authority and humility. And um, yeah, he is an incredible voice when it comes to this conversation. So we're so glad that he's here. Yeah. He's also yeah. a great friend of ours that we love going to do life with him and his beautiful Alexis. So Uh, Just love you guys a ton. Glad you all are here. We also have the amazing, uh, the wonderful, the brilliant Linga. And Linga is um, just an incredible voice, um, really like a young, powerful voice in this generation. Mm -hmm. And so Linga, Mm -hmm.
3: share a little bit about who you are. Yes. Hi, my name is Linga. I, um, I feel like I'm from everywhere. I never know how to answer the question. Uh, I, I lived in Arizona for like long enough to say it's home for 15 years, but I currently live in Nashville, but I was born in Zambia in Africa, and then I was raised in England. So I've really just kind of lived a little bit everywhere. So sometimes I just, it depends how I'm feeling. I'll, I'm from a different place, depending on what the vibe of the conversation is. I am a rapper. I'm a speaker. I get to travel and do that. It's been a really cool opportunity to that God has used just to allow me to speak, especially to the next gen. And um, I also have an organization called It Was at Church. It's a justice movement just um, that I think should be led by the church. I think a lot of times we've seen things happen in our world that I think the church should have been leading the way in because we are informed by justice by our God and about justice by our God. And I so I think it's very exciting to get to be part of a conversation like this because I think it's becoming more and more necessary. It's the kind of conversations that this generation is having in the forefront. And so I'm just I'm glad to be here. I love that. Amazing. We're so glad you're here. And
0: we really believe this conversation is really important. And for those of you who tuned in today, um, thank you. Like, thank you for actually being the kinds of people that say, I want to learn about this. Uh, the reality is, is, and, and this is an exciting reality, that Generation Z, Gen Z, the next generation, um, studies show that when they walk into a room and there is not diversity present, it actually is more startling to them than if there um, was diversity present because diversity is actually fairly normal for the next generation. Mm. And so, one thing that we have to understand if we are church leaders. And this is not an, if we have time kind of conversation or like a side dish Mm -hmm. kind of piece of building the local church. This is an essential pivotal piece, not only because it actually reaches the next generation more effectively because they're saying everywhere else in the world and everywhere else in their communities and their high schools and their colleges and their environments are diverse, but it Mm -hmm. also matters because this is the original design of our creator. Mm -hmm. And we are promised that at the end of all of this, when we are standing in the front, in the face of our creator, when we are in heaven in eternity with him, like there is going to be every nation, every tribe and every tongue singing the praises Mm. of our God. So why would we not? want to create churches where that can happen right now. And so I think this conversation is vitally important. Wherever you live in the world, wherever season of of life that you find yourself in, however your church has been built, this is an opportunity for us to come and pull up a chair uh, and and listen and learn from two incredible leaders who have experienced the, the beauty and sometimes the the pushback right of, of what it means to be a voice around this conversation mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. before we go into kind of the how and the what does this look like and the and all of that i want to just start with the stories because you each have a unique story and you each are people of color you represent different ethnicities and so i just want to hear from your perspective for these church leaders and and ministry leaders who are watching right now and we'll start with you ellie Like, what was your experience as a person of color being raised in the church or some of the good parts or some of the hard parts kind of bring us into that story?
2: Yeah. uh, Like Linga, it's very, it's complicated when you're like uh, a third culture kid where you don't know where you're from. You're from like a little bit of this place and a little bit of that place. You know, you're accepted, you know, my, for example, my parents, being immigrants but me being born in the states Mm. um i can i continue to keep my latino heritage but then being from different nations um and me being born in this nation i kind of never found a home in in either or in my public school in the states because you know um i'm obviously i'm a person of color so i have that on top of me but i was raised in a home that had different different cultural rules and values um, and so, you know, it, it's kind of like you find yourself in the in-between and church wasn't really any different. I, wow. I grew up in the Spanish immigrant church, the Latino mm-hmm. church. Um, our church was all Spanish speaking until the early two thousands.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so that's kind of, you know, uh, my experience at church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I kind of, you know, my, my story is a lot of gray area, uh, in the sense that what we need to understand about this whole conversation around race and ethnicity is that it's not black and white, right? Uh, Quite literally (laughs) uh, in the sense of the African and Anglo conversations, um, but also in it, black not being a monolith, white not being a monolith, yeah. like we, we can't simplify this, right? right. Mm-hmm. And so my story is just all about that. It's all about being complicated. For example, mm-hmm. I grew up in San Antonio, two hours from the Mexican border mm-hmm. uh, in a culture that you would consider uh, uh, a lot of immigrants, but also Tex-Mex, which is a subculture of mm-hmm. Mexican. Mm-hmm. But what they the saying is, we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. Right. Wow. right. We've been wow. Mexican when Texas was still Mexico wow. and then Texas got conquered and became the Republic of Texas. Then it became the mm. United States. But we've been here 10 plus generations and we've wow. been Mexican, but we've always been here and we don't know Spanish anymore. And wow. so that's kind of the the area that I grew up yeah. in. And my mother being uh, a black woman from the Dominican Republic, but mm-hmm. speaking Spanish and so still having that Hispanic wow. Latino culture uh was odd for me to grow around people that spoke spanish but i didn't look like them right and so having to deal with uh i'm y'all but i'm not y'all right. and so in a church culture where you know i was called uh the black boy i was called mm-hmm. every you know racial black wow. racial slur pointed my way mm-hmm. that an african-american would get elsewhere but wow. in my context from Other Latinos, like Anglo-leaning Latinos, Um, you know, and 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 I say that to say this: that nobody is exempt in any racial ethnic group from experiencing racism, um, ethnocentrism. Yes, um, and and so I I don't think that anyone should say, well, you know, I'm not racist because I don't exhibit the mainline racist. Right. deals, I mean, mm. th- there's a wide spectrum of ways that, that we exclude the other. Yes. Uh, and so when I started to get into the American church, you know, I'm coming out of being confused in the Latino right. church and then I get into the American church wow. and the American church was even more shallow because I was right. typed as so many different nationalities that I wasn't. <laughs> uh, I, I, wow. I interned in Queens, New York for a ministry out there uh, and it was amazing uh, but because I look so racially ambiguous, I was kind of like brought along to like help, like to reach. I mean, I was we were reaching the Bengali, the, the <laughs> Thai, the Nepali. But uh, I was I, I was tied to so many different uh, nationalities and, and 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 kind of where I want to land with and in, you know, my yeah. story is uh, I, I think that we should never be complacent with yeah. thinking we know the yeah. other person. We should always be willing as the (laughs) church to lean into the individual as a community. Like we shouldn't so be solidified in a community of uniformity where we're like, Mm -hmm. okay, we're trying to all be the same. Uh, I think that the best community is the common unity of people, right? Where we all get to be different and we all get to be close enough to understand that like, man, even though I look like you, I still have a story and I'm still unique to myself. Yes. And I love my Latino, Hispanic heritage. I love being a Texan. Heck yeah, I love being Texan. Like that's just, I love being a Texan. Um, but there's so much more to me. And so my experience in church has been uh, the most hurtful when we try to all be the same, but the most fruitful when people lean into me as an individual and get to know me as a person. And that's both in the Latino church and the American church together. That's
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, I love love how you just ended that. Um, How often do we stereotype an entire people group because we're trying to figure out a solution um, or maybe even trying to make ourselves feel good, right? That we understand that group of people or this group of people and we lump people into the, this bucket of people of color, mm-hmm. as opposed to seeing the individual, because every single person in this world is going to have a different experience. Mm-hmm. And that is, we should be seeing it as an honor to hear each of those stories, rather than trying to just fast track the process of becoming a, a a diverse church by lumping all of mm-hmm. that together. That's yeah, great. Linga, what was your experience like?
3: Yeah, I, I will say my my experience is kind of was kind of an interesting uh accumulation of things. I, I obviously I mentioned I'm from Zambia originally, but um pretty much the entirety of my like life growing up, my parents, especially my dad especially, was part of like a like reformed um Baptist church movement. And so um understandably, not only was there a like racial gap, us being literally always the only um, family of color, or maybe like one other family. Um, but also there being like, at least for, for me and I have an older brother. So me and my brother would always be the, um, the youngest people. And then there was like a 40 year age gap between us and like anyone else. And that, I mean, so that was already true in, in England. Um, Hmm. but then when moving here, um, I think I think it became more profound. I will say, I think in England, there is an experience at some level where people are a lot more um, reserved or were a lot more reserved about their political affiliations and um, things like that. But I think the dynamic when I moved to the United States was that it wasn't just that we were going to church with like old white people, but it was old white Republicans. And if you were not an old white Republican and that wasn't like the way that you presented yourself or that's not the way that you identified Um, or if you weren't making attempts to identify that way, then sure. you were very much being oh. othered and there was this like stipulation about you. And I think it was hard because for me, even though I am Ooh. African in, in, in nature, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, my parents chose not to teach me their mother tongue. They said, we want you to know English only. Um, yeah. we want, we don't want you to have any obstacles yeah. with knowing yeah. another language. So wow. when I go to Zambia, I'm not, I'm not Zambian mm-hmm. enough. They'll say I'm American or they'll say I'm British. They won't, they won't say I'm, you know, like African enough. So for a long time, even though when I go home, I'm definitely in Africa. My parents are speaking their mother tongue. Oh, We're eating our cultural like foods. We're not, you know what I'm saying? Like there was this yes. disconnect. I would walk home and I like, I've just spent my whole day speaking in my American accent to my peers. Then I walk home and I get home and there's just a different experience, but to my family and uh, people that know us, I'm not you know, African enough, but then I'm also not British enough because when I moved here, I got rid of my British accent because I thought the American accent was cool. And I was young enough that like, Mm -hmm. you know, your accent can change. So it's like, my accent just became super weird. You know, it was like, I don't know. I think I must've sounded really funny. I like (laughs) in their defense, I probably did sound a little weird, but, um, you know, I was so young and I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out like, well, I lived in England and now my accent is weird and I don't want to be like so different that I like stand out in a weird way. So I'm trying to like find a way to like blend into what's happening or I guess maybe assimilate. And in that, like my accent became weird, but then I'm also not black enough now because I'm always in these environments where, um, you know, I'm in. I'm like the the only black person. I'm always, I guess, around white people, and my I'm kind of British. They're so like, "What's going on with your accent? Are you really black?" But then I think one element to add in that is that because I'm dark skinned. I was also especially um, a like point of contention because it was like, she's not black enough, but actually she's blacker than all of us. And, you know, like this, basically I'm becoming this like expert of um, of Africanism. And like Mm -hmm. if there's a conversation about uh, slavery or if there's something that's happened, she knows she's African. It's like I was there for one year, you know, and like you you just feel this like there was this attention for me. And I think I didn't know where I was meant to fit. And I think that. In a lot of ways, the church was supposed to be a helpful place to answer that question right. because my identity is being rooted first in Christ. But then, because I know that every person um, is made in the image of God, and and every hue and every like every country that we're from, and everything that like everything that's about us, our hair right. types, our, our our skin types, all of those things are extensions of the glory of God. I think that there was this there was this invitation, or maybe there was this space that I think the church was meant to occupy to say like, hey, like. Like you're made in the image of God, and these things mm-hmm. about you are beautiful, and these things about you um, matter, but I think that they weren't. It was kind of the opposite thing where it's oh, like, well, yeah. I need to make sure I line up with what um, they're trying to say and what they're trying to do, and um, I, may, I need to make sure I sound like this. And yeah. that's very scary mm-hmm. because it, it creates this kind of like mask culture right. that um, I think wow. Jesus is looking for authentic authenticity. He wants to, he wants to meet the real us. And I think sometimes the problem is that like, even in the, in the ways that we do church, we create these spaces where people think they need to be a, a version of themselves that's polished instead right. of saying, well, no, I, like I'm black, but I'm not, maybe I'm not black like you and I'm British, yes. but maybe I'm not British like you, yes. you know, and, and like that, it looks different. So I think I just, there was a space for, for for me to be known as an individual, but I think for 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 the leaders and the environments I was in to speak to my individuality, but the importance of my individuality and the fact that like, mm. I, even in my, the unique expressions of my life was doing exactly what God intended Yes. for me to do in my life and that there was nothing wrong wow. with that. I had to learn that myself, but I think that there was room, um, in those environments for, for that to have been spoken into. Yes. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Yeah. That's Powerful. amazing. I, thanks for sharing. I think what's
1: really interesting is like when you live more in an authentic life, you actually open yourself up from a vulnerability standpoint, from attacks to hurt to maybe potential pain points. Um, I'm curious in your guys's perspective when it comes down to, um, Heard a podcast one time with uh, a great speaker. I can't rem- uh, remember her name, but she talked about this, um, this phrase that we live in a society like us versus them. Yeah. And more often than not, we see like from a cultural components to ethnicity, to maybe even occupation, to the church, to organizations, to nonprofits, whatever. There's a lot of differences. Um so differences can either divide us, or differences can actually uh, build something more beautiful. Mm-hmm. How do we sit in that tension between living an authentic life of, of who God has wired yeah. us or created us to be, but then at the same time actually becoming people that are um, mm-hmm. that don't live in uh, that tension that differences have to divide us? Yeah but that differences can actually build something more beautiful when it comes down to the local church or the ecclesia or the expression of the church. Yeah. Um, Ali, do you want to talk a little bit on that real quick?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Ephesians does such a good job of mm-hmm. talking about the relationship with between Christ and the church as a marriage. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and I love when, when Jesus kind of turns up the ante on the disciples on how to love one another. Because mm. we always quote, like, the golden rule, right? Uh, uh, treat others like you want to be treated. like. Uh, and then he's like, but he takes it a step further. He says, love others like I've loved you. Mm. And that's, that's a whole, like, I don't, I don't know how much we understand of what yeah. that means. Because that's a direct correlation to what is eventually uh, Paul writing in Ephesians saying, you know, uh, how the husband is supposed to lo- love the wife you know, in sacrificing himself Mm -hmm. for her. And I think in a very similar way there, there's like marriage in community Mm -hmm. in the sense that me marrying my wife, uh, there is a shared sacrifice between her and I. Like it, there, there is like this love Mm -hmm. that says, you know what? I'm coming in this with a love that is willing to give, It's willing to compromise itself for you so that we can be together. We can, we have to lay certain things down. And so I think in a multi-ethnic community, Mm -hmm. there has to be that shared sacrifice. There has to be, you know, when, when we come together, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, well, you gotta, you just gotta take all that I am uh, because Lingo was completely right. Uh, first and foremost our identity is in Christ Mm. and the reason that I don't often say multicultural conversations or multicultural congregations or just use the term multicultural is because there's really only one culture and it's Uh the culture of the kingdom it's where we all as a people like for example let's take revelation 7 9 and 10 right that's let's Let's deconstruct from what it's going to be in eternity.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's
2: going to be in eternity is we get to keep all of our ethnicity, what we look like, like we get to keep our bodies, our skin color, Mm -hmm. our languages. um, You know, we get to keep that in eternity. Revelation seven says that, but it goes further. And it says that all in one voice says this, that they all said out loud, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is, that yes, we, we got to keep, we get to keep our heritage. We get to yeah. keep our, our language, the flavor of our food, uh, mm-hmm. our likes, the things that we grew up with. But at the end of the day, we're all speaking the same message. Yeah. It's the same salvation. Uh, it's the same love of Christ. And so if, if we're going to have a, and a healthy conversation around diversity And a healthy conversation about relating to one another. Mm -hmm. It's allowing Jesus to not just be our mediator between uh, ourselves and God, but Jesus to be our mediator between me and the other. And if Jesus becomes that mediator and he becomes the filter of love that I speak through, all of a sudden there is unlimited grace there, unlimited mercy there, unlimited Mm -hmm. patience there, unlimited forgiveness there. Um, And so that's where I would begin to just, I mean, unpack just this overwhelmingly complicated um, conversation with a very simple, are we allowing the marriage to the other to be filtered through Jesus, just as he filters our relationship between God and ourselves? Because I think that's the ultimate sacrifice of like, I'm willing to come in this because I know Jesus is better than what I prefer for you to treat me like, because his love and the way his love treats me is better than I could even want someone to treat me or I can treat Mm. somebody else. So I think that that's a a good place to begin. That's great.
0: It's so good too, Ellie, because let's be honest, like a lot of times, and we'll dive more into this later. I want to hear from you as well, Linga, but one thing that I see a lot of times is that we as leaders, you know, we can we can want the appearance of a multi-ethnic church without actually right. wanting the presence of the things that would make us uncomfortable because a multi-ethnic church means that, let's be honest, the whiteness that we have is challenged, right? Like a multi-ethnic right. church is not yeah. a, a white church with a lot of people of color in it. A multi-ethnic yeah. church is a church where the different pieces of who we are feel welcome and feel mm. safe. And we can worship according to the ways that we were raised. And we can speak right. in the languages in which we were raised. And we can bring the fullness of the ethnicity in which we were raised. But then yeah. all come together under the culture and the name of Jesus. And so, right. And
2: I and yeah. I think using the the term like that marriage term, it, I think a lot of people like multicolored because it's like dating the pretty girl because <laughs> like, I date her because she looks good. That's but the good. moment I, you know, if I don't, if I don't know her character, we're going to yeah. get divorced. Yeah. Come you know, on. because it's so different. Dating mm-hmm. so different than a committed uh, yeah. marriage. It's so right. much more work to be married, but right. it's beautiful when you like, are, are willing to mm. I
0: think Ellie might have cut out for a minute, but let's go over to you, Linga, and and share a little bit about yeah, your perspective on how do we invite somebody to be fully their ethnicity, who they were created to be and also in a way that leads to a unified church.
3: Yeah, I think that's a very important question. I think that what's difficult is that um, even this conversation about like what's considered normal versus what isn't, that comes from othering comes from what's been like, you know, considered normal and, and natural and the right way of doing things. And a lot of times that is based on a like societal approach. Um, And so I think that sometimes what is scary is that sometimes leaders think that they're immune to that because they're Christians, but Mm -hmm. bias can get anybody anywhere. And so I think it's first being able to recognize I could be biased and not even know. And that's not even like an attack. That's just like self-awareness to say you know what i've i've been raised in this environment where this has been the norm and because this has been the norm i need to make sure that what i'm considering normal i'm not othering when mm-hmm. i try to bring someone to the table so what's happened in the past for me is that sometimes i've gotten invited to Um, you know, invited to the table, hey, we want you to be part of this. But then when I begin to start to give voice to, well, there's this concern and there's this happening, Uh, then it's like, oh, well, hold on, you're here. Isn't that like, aren't you glad to be here? Yeah, I'm glad to Uh, be here, but I'm not just here to hang out. I can be here at my house. I'm here because Mm -hmm. I want to contribute to what's happening in this environment. So I think that like, I think that we just have to start recognizing that like just because something is different doesn't mean that it's other or like something to alienate. I think that there's this like, diversity like video they'll make you watch at certain places um like recently but it's like a really good video basically it's like i don't know if they're like everyone's like a everyone's wearing like a tux and they hire this like yarn ball or something and she comes <laughs> to the office and she's just like you know doing her yarn thing and then like everyone is just like looking at her weird because she's not wearing a tux and because she's like you know oh, just okay. a ball of yarn so eventually she knits herself into a tuxedo so that she can fit in. But then they hire another, like this is how the video ends. They hire another yarn. And the the yarn, the original yarn person has this opportunity to decide: do I, you know, wear my yarn tux and tell her to knit herself a yarn tux, or do I be my authentic wow. yarn self? And the thing about that is the people who hired this yarn knew she was yarn. So she didn't need to become a tuxedo wearer to be in that environment. She, wow. like, she needed to be embraced. And I know it's like a childish video, but I think the the thing resonates is this idea that sometimes we say, hey, we want you at the table, but you I don't know. want my ideas at the table. Mm-hmm. You want my appearance, yes. but, but it's my ideas and my perspective that are actually going to contribute to the blending of culture, which is what I'm assuming what you hope for in doing this, or if it isn't, that's, that's a bias to kind of unearth and and yes. confront and 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 address and so yes. I think I that agree. sometimes we 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 just fail sometimes. to recognize that God made diversity and that it's it's something to celebrate. Like if I if you we can uh, celebrate what is considered normal in your life that is. God made, then we can do the same thing in the other people's lives that we're inviting to the table. Um, and so I think that it's just, it's, it's time to just like stop bringing people just for the looks. And I was in every, I used to be in every picture, bruh, every picture at this church. I'm telling you, I'm telling you people must've thought, you know that I don't, I don't know what they thought and so people come they're like oh my gosh hi i'm like it's just me but welcome you know because it's like you're putting me in every photo i don't mind being in pictures but it's like what are you trying to portray right you're like what's the motive in that you're trying to make it seem like you're more diverse than you you actually are i actually think people would respect more to be able to see like hey you know they're not that diverse but they're like this is a goal that they have right. but like you know, I just think sometimes we have this approach where it's like the appearance of diversity is enough, Mm. but Gen Z especially is looking for the authentic. So when we show up and we see the appearance of diversity, but we hear what's being said from the stage and we hear what's being affiliated with, and we hear what's going on, we can tell that's not real. Right. We can see it. Yeah. That's Mm. fantastic. Wow. Wow.
0: That's powerful. You know, a lot of our church leaders that are watching right now, they tuned in, like they, they saw the title of this. They knew what we were talking about today and they still said, yes, this is a conversation I want to have. And so I just, I honor you. If you're here, like, thank you for, mm-hmm. for having this conversation. Yeah, um, and I'm believing that it's not just the people of color that tuned in today, finally grateful that we're having this conversation, but that it's actually people who lead churches who are saying, I want to grow a multi ethnic church. And, and we've had conversations with people. We live in the city of Chicago and, um kind of similar to some of the things that you all have said like there are some churches that have said we're that funny church where we mm-hmm. started vietnamese and we had to really work hard to become a multi ethnic church even if we didn't want to right and there's other uh, pastors who are white who have said we've really had to work hard to become multi ethnic even when we didn't want to mm-hmm. right so um, this is a really interesting conversation but what we know is that gen z is walking away from the church and if we want to grow multi-ethnic churches and we want to reach the mm-hmm. next generation, what that means is we have to be ready for the multi-ethnic members of Gen Z to walk into our church, right? And they are going to bring experiences that, if they are a different ethnicity than we are, we are not going to fully understand their experience and mm-hmm. reality. Um, right. and we have to be prepared for that. And so let's get really practical here with kind of the second half of our conversation. Um, you know, what are some Really practical ways, you know. Let's say um, a pastor or a church leader um, who is not leading a, a multi ethnic church right now, um, but really wants to grow in the direction of of being a multi ethnic church. What are some ways that they need to at least open their eyes or or be willing to um, have their perspective challenged a little bit as they as they wrestle with this idea of what it means as the title of our show is today to create a safe place in our churches for the multi ethnic members of gen z what is, what does that what does that look like ellie practically
2: yeah uh and i apologize my my phone got overheated no that's great maybe it's because i was spitting fire anyways um <laughs> i i think for for me it, it it's pastors especially multi ethnic um nations because there are nations that are not um as diverse as the the us is one of the most diverse places in the world i mean every nation almost every ethnicity is present in the united states and so my challenge especially on the us side and and a bit of the uk side too because i know uh the the interracial population has it has exploded in the uk and continues to do so, and the immigration from the Middle East, and you know those demographical changes as well. Um, my my challenge to pastors is: don't think as a traditional career pastor, like we used to think in the ter- in terms of the homogenous church, and yes. you know, and, and just trying to continue to do the same thing. Think like a missionary.
0: Yeah. That's what amazing. does a
2: missionary do? A missionary understands their context. Yeah. That means they know the demographical layouts in their city. They know the demo uh, in terms of uh, race and ethnicity. They know the languages represented. They know the socioeconomic status is represented. They know the political spectrums that are represented. And if you are a pastor and you don't know those things about your city, you can never hope Yeah. To mm. actually be influential right. Where your church is Come on. Like I'm right. not the one to say like If you're in a city that's like 96% White I'm not trying To see your church be 50% Minority sure. mm. But but if that 4% Is not represented in your congregation right. At least uh, uh, In terms of ratio Then then we're having a whole issue it, it, You know I, I, I Don't believe in just saying well we just Want to get as many might no get who's in your city. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. If you're comparing yourself to a Los Angeles or a Chicago or New York where they just got every ethnicity under the sun. They got all the colors of the rainbow and you live in Wisconsin, it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Have a Wisconsin church. But have a Wisconsin church that represents your community. Yeah, that's and what I know is that there are there are Latinos everywhere these days. Yeah. There might be a few in population, but you got to know if they're there. Yeah. You got you to do your studies. The USA does a great job. Just Google, yeah. Google your yeah. city and Google the city's demographics. Yeah. Like, um, I, I just think that we have to operate like missionaries and we got to go to where people are. So once you know, they're there, mm. it's like the, the question shouldn't be, how can I get them from there to here? Right. It's how do I get myself from here to there? Right. That's yeah. the missionary. Yeah. Remember it's a yeah. missionary mentality. Right. So how can I, you know, spend time in their community? Mm-hmm. You know, at, at what point can I get to a dinner table in their house? Yeah, because that was to me. I get it. Mm. Let's diversify our dinner table. How yeah. about you spend enough time in a community that you get invited to into someone's house? Yeah. That's when you know. Yeah. And, and I know Linga knows this because yeah. immigrant families were notorious for this. It yeah. is another level when yeah. they invite you into their home. Yeah, they so eat yeah. their food. That, uh-huh. That's a whole different level. I can, I can uh-huh. invite people all day, every day to my house, but I know I'm a part of the community right. when they start yeah. to invite me into their home, into that's their living space, to, li- to sit on their couches with plastic over them. Yeah, you, you, you get what yes. I'm saying? Like, and, and so for all the pastors are like, well, where do I begin? You don't begin in the congregation. You begin in the community. Like Come you, on. you spend time. Well, how do I do that? Go to your Walmart. Start talking yeah. to people, start old school evangelism, go strike yes. up conversations in random places, like do prayer walks in communities that you you're, you've said you would never live in or you know you've moved out of, and mm-hmm. do prayer walks in there every Tuesday and yeah. walk for two hours yes. and be a regular. trust yeah. me someone's got to ask you you know what's this white man doing in our neighborhood walking <laughs> Someone will ask you yeah um and so I think that that is just, it, it, to me that's the practical. Thing of presence you can't you can't shortcut that you got to be there um and you got to know where to be right so it's that research you know it's that r, uh r d right you got you got to go out and you gotta you you really got to figure out who is there and then spend time with them yeah mm, that's so, um, good. so sorry that's a little soapbox but. No, I don't
0: that. be sorry I I mean, know, that so is good. powerful <laughs> man yeah. if we had more people that recognize as church leaders our greatest mm-hmm. goal is not to get them into our churches but for us to sit in their living rooms. Yeah, so like great. that is even a mind-blowing concept for, for probably some people and I really mm-hmm. hope that we as we as leaders can be those kinds of people and and also in a culture where you know it's really glamorous to be not in your community, right? Mm-hmm. Like, especially in our generation, like those of us who are our millennials, even we were raised seeing a lot of our heroes jet sitting all over and, and going to all these different communities and all these different places. And, you know, some of us, we we do some of that stuff. But what, one thing that Aaron and I talk about is like, if we ever are doing that to the extent, or we don't have time to ever be present in our community, like that's a major red flag, right? Mm-hmm. And so Having that framework of are we so concerned about building our church or building our thing or t- traveling that we're neglecting being present with the people right in our mm-hmm. neighborhood? Like, mm-hmm. man, that that's a powerful concept. Linga, what would you say, you know, as, as these leaders are trying to create safe places for the next gen, um, the multi-ethnic next generation in their communities, and um, what would you say that they need to know?
3: yeah i think i mean what was already said we need culturally competent leaders um now more than ever i think that's that's the way i would i would maybe blanket phrase it is that i think sometimes we have um we just have a lack of that sometimes and especially in the u.s i don't think it's true in the same way um in in the global movement of the church but especially in the u.s with the rise of things like christian nationalism and and like um maybe church attendance as a as a, um, as a cultural thing to be a part of. Yes. Um, I think it's very easy for there to be a lack of just competency. How do we reach mm-hmm. people? Who are the people that we can reach? Who lives here? What do they do? Where are they from? What do they love? What, what struggles are affecting them? Because I think that it's, it's valid for someone to be able to question, um, your love-based motive to preach to them. If you don't, um, if you don't want to protect them or, or yeah. care about them, um, you want to preach to me, but you don't care about what's happening to me. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's a very valid question for people to ask. And so I think that that is connected to being culturally competent is to, to look at your environment, look at your community and say, what, what do they need? How can, how can we be a part of that solution? Um, but I also think it has to do with representation, Mm -hmm. um, I think representation matters. I, I think that like, I I probably have a really relevant, like even story. I just moved to Nashville very recently Mm -hmm. and I, um, you know, I've, I've kind of, you know, connected with a few different like groups of people trying to find like, you know, where's where's some diversity? Because this, you know, Nashville, I, I will say it's more diverse than some of the places I've lived, but it's not that diverse. And so mm-hmm. I've, I've managed to find myself in rooms full of people of color, but then I've visited churches or gone to events and there's like, I was the only one. And so it's like, I don't have like a special skill to find mm-hmm. people of color. <laughs> um, but I do think that like, uh, representation like matters because I can, I guess, I guess for whatever reason, for a number of reasons, people that look like me are going to find me and vice versa. Right. So yeah. I think that if you are attempting to, you know, connect to a community, it's it's really strange when you're trying to do that without making your environment look like, look that way in any way. Right. Uh, that's why it matters to say, okay, we need mm-hmm. to, we need to make sure we have some key voices that represent the people we, we want to connect with. Because mm-hmm. I think that like, there are some things that we can learn and grow in and be become competent in, but there are some things that are already like experiences that are natural offshoots and overflows of people's identities just because of the, the groups that they're a part of. And so wow. I think that if we can also say, you know what, we need to put, uh, we need to get some people that represent what we want this to look like. Yeah. I, I went to church for like 10 years before I ever saw a woman speak ever, you know, we need to like, you know what I'm saying? Like we need, we need to be able to say, okay, well, there are women that are, full of the Holy spirit that are leading and pastoring and doing what they're called to do. Um, I net like, and, and then add, add four more years before I ever saw a black woman speak. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know? So it's like, if, if I'm growing up in that environment, I'm thinking this is great, but I can, all I can ever be is someone that attends. I can never Mm -hmm. be someone that's part of leading this because Mm -hmm. there's no space for me. There's no room for me. Mm So i think that representation creates room yes yeah that's so good that's fantastic Linga.
1: i respect that opinion so much i think representation is something that we need to lean into a little Mm -hmm. bit more as a society yes um a lot more actually Mm -hmm. um but one thing that i'm thinking through is when it comes down to representation um let's say we're trying to diverse as a staff let's say we're trying to um be more multi-ethnic as a staff Um, I was talking to a friend recently about just organizations trying to grow younger, right? And when we say grow younger, do we actually mean growing younger? Like as far as like come and attend, kind of what Ellie kind of talked about, getting people into our seats, into our church, or do we actually mean growing younger from like staff to uh, speakers, to panelists, to worship leaders? And so I would love to talk a little bit about representation a little bit when it comes down to um, events that we run, um, churches that we're a part of. how do we how do we build a more represent uh, a healthier representation of diversity? and then how do we actually create environments that are safe within those organizations for the people that we do hire on that are multi-ethnic
3: hmm. That's a very good. Very good, very, very good question. And I think it's not being asked enough. So I'm really glad that you're asking it on this. Um, on this forum, um, and that leaders are, are hearing it because um, yes, representation matters, but we're not looking for tokenism. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's the first thing. It's not just hey, you know, we got one black speaker now, so we're, we've covered diversity mm-hmm. for the year. <laughs> if that's the goal, don't don't do it. Don't, right, don't right. do it. just do what you're planning to do. Book whoever you wanted to book, but like I think that w- when your when your goal is to say that like beyond going into the because I think it's twofold. Number one, we we definitely want to go into communities. But I also think at some point there is this like kind of cycle thing where not just going in, but now they're, they're coming also to us. And there's this like um, cycle of, we go out to them, they're coming to us, we're functioning as a community. So eventually they're going to come into the church and maybe someone's going to be called to ministry. Someone's going to, you know, where are they going to fit in your landscape? And so I think that's when it starts to matter. We have to be able to say like, there's room for you here. And that means that you have to look at the table and then see where the holes are. And see what we Come need on. to change See what we need to do and i think i think it's that practical i wish i wish i could say like you know th- th- step one step two i think it's yeah. that practical what yeah. do we have what's going on here where's the need who like who are we wanting to connect with who right. we have an opportunity to reach that we're not um because something i've asked even when i've gone to some of these churches here is like oh like there are there's we're the only black people where's where are the mm-hmm. black people going because they're like <laughs> It's not like right. we're, we just don't go to church. We have a home wow. church, so if they're not here, which is wow. fine, I just wonder where they are and if they're right. there. Why are they there rather than here? Right. Um, because we all had the same like choice and opportunity, and so I think those okay. kinds of questions, um, that looking internally, can kind of create space for that. And then and then it's just to say, okay, we have this whole here. We don't have we don't have very many women. Who are the women that we're em- empowering and investing? In? Let's start to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, what? we don't really we have a lot of people that are from. Wherever, let's make sure that you know we we connect with some people that are from this place, and and we have some people that live in this this um this area of town, and we we have an opportunity to reach them. We have this program that could help them. Let's connect with people that are there. Let's make space for them. Let's this person's a great leader. Let's like let me invest in them. Let me disciple them. Some of it is just things that we already do in our structures anyway, but it's just saying like let me make sure I contextualize it so that there is um representation that will allow them to see that there is space for them Mm. because I when I see that there's space, then I think that like, I feel like I'm safe. Yes, so I, I would feel uncomfortable in, in some of the church environments I was in in the past because I was there as a token to make it seem like, uh, oh, like there's space here. But from mm-hmm. the environments and the kinds of things that were being said politically and the kind of things that were being um, talked about just in the structure of our environment, I actually, I wouldn't have called it safe people that would come would actually come and hear some things that would be like, Ooh, I'm not coming back. And so it's like, sometimes that's what that's the harm of tokenism is if you're not doing an internal change in in your structure and you're just putting people in for the appearance, then people can come to your environment thinking, okay, this isn't just like that there's space room, but I'm safe here. Then they'll discover, no, this is just an appearance. It's not, not in practice yes
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's yes so good. that's
3: fantastic
1: um ellie i would love for you to touch on this topic too and and i feel like uh the landscape of the church is is really key to also talk about on uh this live webinar and so i would love for you to really touch on like um from the church aspect the landscape of uh the church with the next generation we're in a huge shift right now like how do we how, how do we become on the right side of history mm. um, when it comes down to creating a beautiful landscape of diversity um, within, uh, within our organizations and church ministry? Mm.
2: Yeah, you know, I've, I've always been, you know, I, I kind of heard this several years ago. Uh, it was just so profound. I'm like, but it's like, it's also no duh. Um, <laughs> biblical strategy um, defends itself. Right. Like the Bible doesn't need to defend itself. Uh, There's only one history and it's uh, the history of the kingdom, because it's the Mm -hmm. only thing that's going to last after this world fades. And so it's saying, you know, how do we, you know, it's that whole Joshua conundrum, are you for us or for our enemies? And Jesus Mm -hmm. says, neither. Uh, And it's (laughs) it's finding, you know, if we have chosen a side Mm -hmm. and then being very fear of God, that uh we get away from whatever side we chose because i think they're extremes um i'll i'll sum it up and i think i'm really only summing what linga already um Mm -hmm. beautifully expressed uh in in three in three words uh space voice and power right um the last one I always debate on like, should I say empowerment or, you know, am I, should I use power? Um, mm-hmm. I think empowerment has been reduced to a delegation, task wow. delegation. And so I don't want to say empowerment because it's just <laughs> been losing its,
0: come on its,
2: what it actually means. Yeah. So I'm going to use the word power and, and I hope that that jolts somebody Yeah, um, mm-hmm. because we do need space uh, at the table. I think oftentimes it's like, uh, cause I don't. I'm going to be very careful, but I was told that I can say something controversial. So track with me, everyone track with me, just track with what I'm about to say. I understand what affirmative action is trying to do. I understand Mm -hmm. completely what it's trying to do, where we, where we're trying to place people of color in places, Mm -hmm. um, by saying, you know, we're not going to put any more white people here. And, and I get that, but I think that that, that entire structure falls under the pretense that we have a limited amount of seats at a table. Hmm. And I just believe that we just don't have a big enough table. And I think Jesus's table is big enough.
0: Yeah. Um, Wow. And that's why, you know, that's why I
2: lean into the community ratio thing. I'm like, hey, look, um, I'm going to build a table that's big enough for the community, a table where there's Mm -hmm. space for everyone. Second, a table for voice, right? That's the second right. thing, voice, where everyone has an equal say into f- conversations that matter. <laughs>
1: right.
2: Conversations that structurally matter, not just right. like, hey, do you know any gospel songs we could sing? at?" Our-? <laughs> I, you know, because I'm also tired of, of churches, oh, only- people of color in the arts, which right. is fine because we, we rock it for show, sure. <laughs> Awesome. We're awesome. We're rocking. But I also want to see people of color in executive positions that are making strategic decisions towards the future vision of the church as a whole, not just creative artistic direction. Yes. Right. And so if we only limit it to expression, but we don't get to the executive Mm. side where decisions are actually being made, then the same thing happens. It's a multicolored church with, you know, different flavors of genres of music. And sure, it'll attract people, but they will not have the third thing, power. To do anything, to make any decisions and to move anything forward. So what is true empowerment? And true empowerment is I believe in your ability to make a decision and I'm going to allow you to make that decision and trust you to do it. I'm not going to get in your way. I'm going to give you the power to succeed and the power to fail. Right. And so for all of even my people of color that you're being the you're the first one, you're the pioneer for us in a space that has not had uh, mm-hmm. a, a person of color What you're going to have to to trust is that as a pioneer, when you're given that power, um, you have to also simultaneously um, understand that the healthiest way f- To be a pioneer in that space is the power for them to fail in their ignorance, but also that you can't be the representative for all of us, but you can be excellent in what you do. Love Christ with all your heart. Love him with the character that he has given you so that you could give that character to others. Um, And I think that that opens up that opens the biggest door because I I'm the I'm the guy that's like, Eli and Saul were super messed up, Hmm. but Samuel and David rocked it. Come on! And so, you know, I, I think that, uh, man, I'm going to talk to the people of color on this one. Right. I think we're going to have to really be okay with being Samuels and being David's Mm. in a season where we might be brought in as token. That's not going to be everyone. And for, those that are Anglo, I'm not, I'm not co-signing tokenism. Right. That's not, that's not what I'm co-signing. What I'm, right. I'm going to lean into is for my, my fellow people of color to say, yes. you know what? This is pioneering season.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. We're going
2: to have to endure just like those in the civil rights had to endure nonsense. Like it's the whole, mm-hmm. what we're about to endure is not going to be fair, but that's why it's going to require faith uh-huh. because it's not going to add up. And there's going to be a lot of us that are going to step into places and a lot of places I've stepped into, I'm sure Linga has stepped into that it's not fair, but our sacrifice Mm -hmm. and our obedience to the Lord to step into those places have started to produce opportunities for others. And there there are probably more pioneers out there that are going to be the first. Don't be afraid to be the first. Don't be afraid to be that Samuel that has a blind Eli or uh, a David that serves a Saul that's already on his way out that has a temper that is like, I I do believe that they're also in tandem is that. So I want to empower all those that are like, man, I'm I'm afraid to be. Don't be afraid. Be bold. Know that God has his justice for you as you step in. And, and so for all then, all the Anglo pastors that are listening to me right now, if you don't have space for them, voice and power for them to make decision, if those three don't exist simultaneously, then you will be the ones that are doing the tokenism. Um, And so allow, allow Mm. for people to be not just present, but to be empowered with the trust to do something. With what you have not just asked them to do, but have empowered them to create from themselves, wow. Um, wow. and so um, yeah, so that's that's a bit of what I'm thinking. That's great!
0: What a powerful place to. Um, yeah, not complete so good, this Allie. conversation because the conversation is so much larger than what we can cover in just this one hour. Um, but pause the conversation. And and why I say pause is because I hope that this is just the start of the conversation for each of us. That we don't just listen to a webinar and think that we've now done our mm, part to right. figure out how our church can be multi-ethnic. We checked off the box that we learned from some people who are multi-ethnic and we can go back to however we were leading our churches before. Rather, would this be an invitation to continue the work? And um, on behalf of people who are white, like in church leadership and in ministry leadership, I just wanna say
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm humbled to learn from both of you. And thank you for your courage. Same. Thank you for yeah. leading um, when it's not fair. Thank you for doing incredible work for the kingdom. And I'm sorry for the ways that it is not fair, that you have not received the mm-hmm. same kinds of honor and respect right. and opportunity. Um, and as your friend and sister in Christ, it's an honor to link arms with you as mm-hmm. we see a more diverse and okay. just and equal World and those of you watching, thank you for joining us for this conversation. Um, it's an honor to continue to have these conversations alongside of each of you every Thursday, um, at 11 a.m. Eastern time. And hey, as we just finish off this conversation, I just wanna invite Linga, if you would pray over kind of the pastors listening and the work that we are about to leave this webinar and go do the boardrooms that we're gonna have to go back to and say, I think I have some conviction, the teams Mm -hmm. that we're gonna have to go to, the elders, the pastors, the the individuals who we're not even on church leadership, but we're gonna start meeting with our church leadership to see transformation. Would you just pray courage and boldness and action? Um, for these young leaders.
3: Yes, let's pray. Lord, I thank you, God, for every leader that you've allowed just to tune into this conversation. Holy Spirit, I thank you for what you're stirring. Holy Spirit, I thank you that, that there is just an incredible work that you want to do through the leaders that you've that you've brought to this conversation. I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you bring conviction, God, just yeah. tangible conviction? Will we lean into it, Lord? I pray in the name of Jesus, that there wouldn't be shame. God, there would just be an opportunity just to enter in that uh, to the work that you're wanting to do. So I just pray right now, Lord, that um, the the things that you're beginning to inspire and the dreams that you're beginning to awaken out of this conversation, the things that you're going to do, I pray that they would be done, God, just in boldness and in confidence and in authority, God. I pray that that people, these leaders would just submit to what you're doing and where you're leading them. God, I pray that they would go out into their community full of the Holy Spirit and find the people that are broken and hurting, that need to hear from you, that need an encounter with you. God, I pray for these leaders that are called for now God to reach this next generation and I just pray Lord that you would just begin to just empower them God and and give them your peace and give them your confidence God and give them your word would it be tangible would you speak to them Lord would you speak to them clearly God bring confirmation bring clarity give them wisdom God as they make decisions Lord give them wisdom to do exactly what you have for them next God I pray that you would just bring God refreshing and peace God for, for leaders that have been serving you faithfully I just pray that they would feel refreshed as they continue to do this work. I thank you that it matters. I thank you that you see it and it's important. And I pray that God, you would just continue, God, to bless their endeavors, bless their work. God, I thank you Mm -hmm. that there's grace for our failures. God, I thank Mm -hmm. you that if there is a leader even watching this, that is feeling like, oh, you know, we haven't done this right in the past, God. I thank you that there's grace for that. And I thank you that God, now your grace is empowering them to do better in the future, God, and and that you're going to give them the strategy and the answer for what that could look like in their context, Lord. And I I just pray that they would feel a peace and a hope in that. God, I think that we can hope in you, God, that our decisions matter, but that, God, you get the final say in what we're doing. So we just submit to you all of these things. And we say that, Lord, would you rule and would you reign over the things that we do, over our churches that we lead, over the places that we pastor, over the people we reach? Would you have the final say? We pray that in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. amen and amen. Wow. Well, Ellie and Linga, thank you guys so much for your boldness, your courage, um, and what you guys are doing in this world. If our viewers wanted to find you, where can they find you, Ellie and Linga?
3: Okay, sorry, I didn't, I didn't really <laughs> cut you off. Uh, I am on, I'm on Instagram. That's the main, the main place I'm on. So you can find me there also on my website. It was at church.com. Um, and then the Instagram is at, it was at church, or you can find my personal Instagram at Linga um, the boss. Those are the main places you can find me. And then on Spotify, I'm an artist. So you can always find my music there at Linga the boss. And she's dropping some new music. Some so beat. you want to check yeah. it out.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For me, uh, same thing. Instagram. well instagram and tiktok uh ellie Bonilla jr you can find me there uh you can find me uh my website's com. kept it super simple not many people have my name so it's it's dope um and uh on 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 podcast homies and heroes that's my podcast we're scheming up a new season coming up uh, you could go binge the first two seasons there we've got some really cool and it's
1: so good it's awesome. uh, uh, a great podcast yeah. um yeah well thank you guys so much for coming on i really appreciate you all
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network Podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.